the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. What has made America the most exceptional country the world has ever seen? I mean, we really believe that, and we believe the answer to that is its founding principles. And you know, it seems that just like Israel and the Bible needed to be constantly reminded of its roots and purpose because it's so often straight away, so we need to be reminded of our founding purposes. And we have a distinguished guest today who's written extensively on our founding fathers and founding principles and applies them daily in his career as a judge. The Honorable Mark T. Boonstra is a highly respected jurist. He served since 2012 as judge of the Michigan Court of Appeals. I'll also mention during several years in there, he also served concurrently as judge of the Michigan Court of Claims. I mention that because among the cases he presided over was that infamous Flint water crisis, which we probably won't have time to get into today. I am going to mention his notable wife, though, Martha Mary Rabot Boonstra, who's both a nurse and a general counsel of a large health care system and whose grandfather, Congressman Louis Rabot, authored the Under God Amendment to the Pledge of Allegiance. We're mainly going to talk about Judge Boonster's book, latest book, In Their Own Words, which documents how our founding, founding fathers believed the Christian faith must undergird our republic. So, Outstanding background, many things to talk about. Welcome to our show today, Judge Boonstra. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm honored to be on your show, and thank you guys for all of the work that you're doing. Appreciate that. So although we're calling from San Diego, I'm uh, Michigan born and raised and a graduate of the University of Michigan and, most importantly, a big Michigan Wolverines fan. So I thought I'd just ask you, are you a fan either of the Wolverines or any of the other institutions in Michigan? Yeah, well, especially since you're a Wolverine fan, let me just say I sort of have divided loyalties <laughs> because uh, I indeed uh, went to the University of Michigan for law school and graduate school. But before that, uh, I attended the uh, Michigan State University uh, as an undergrad, so uh, I also have some fond feelings toward the Spartans. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because Brian went his first year I, of, to Michigan State, and then he transferred later to yeah. grad, for grad school for U of M. And I also worked as a nurse at University of Michigan Hospital. We lived there when we were first married, and we still have relatives in Grand Rapids. So we're we're Michigan Michiganders of a sort. I mean, we yeah. lived in California a long time. 
But good to I, hear that. I also, I also lived and worked in the Ann Arbor area for many years, although these days we're over on the west side uh, off of Lake Michigan. Well, that's beautiful around the Great Lakes area. It's quite a different climate. But let's start out by paying attention to your dedication of your book, and that is dedicated to your wife's grandfather. So tell us why you dedicated it to him, a little bit about him. He was a congressman, right? He was. He was there from the 30s, 1930s until the 1960s. He was from the Detroit Gross Point area, and uh, he was uh, he, he was a Democrat, uh, although I would suggest it was perhaps a different party in that day. Whether they would accept him today, I'm not quite so sure. But he served there for many years. And, um, you know, my wife uh, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, a very accomplished person in, in her own right. She also was a nurse. Still uh-huh. has a nursing license, but but uh, in her second life uh, uh, became a lawyer as well, and now is general counsel of a large health system here in Michigan. And she's a contributor to the book. She contributed in part by putting up with me being locked up in my office for a very long time working on this book. But one of her main contributions was her grandfather, Congressman Rabot. And uh, the reason we we actually did a tribute to him in in the book. And the reason we did that is um, we just felt that his contribution to our country was so much in line with what the theme of this book is that we thought it appropriate to include an acknowledgement of that and a tribute to him. Because what he's primarily remembered for is that in 1954, he authored the resolution which President Dwight Eisenhower signed into law on Flag Day, June 14th of 1954, which put the words under God in our Pledge of Allegiance. And, uh, and, and that was a reminder of how important God was to the founding of this country, which is really what this book is about. So we thought it fitting to um, appreciate his role, I guess, in continuing that um, in in uh, in subsequent uh, centuries, actually, what our founding fathers tried to do from the very beginning. Well, we're thankful to your wife's grandfather that he did that as well. So, but in your busy career as a judge, this must have been a big decision to undertake this multi-volume work in their own words. So, why why did you write it? Was there any particular stimulus that caused you to commit to that project? Yeah, it was uh, it was a labor of love, and it was just something that was on my heart, uh, honestly. And you know, speaking of my wife, there was a time when we were discussing this before I actually began the work, and uh, I think we talked about uh, it being, uh, and it was sort of her mindset, it being our retirement project. And um, you know, candidly, I'm not ready to retire, but I, I just didn't think it could wait. To be honest with you. I thought our country was in trouble way back when I started working on this, and and I just felt like I needed to plow forward and 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 do the work that it took to uh, get this done. And you know, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't at all in the beginning intended to be three volumes, and I'm not, I'm not sure that I really fully appreciated what I was taking on when I began the project, but. Um, I, the reason I did is I was just um, beside myself 
with concern for our country, frankly, yeah. and for what I felt had become of our country uh, and, and how far I thought we as a society had strayed from what we were intended to be as, our, as a country. And so, uh, as how I, long did it I take you to of, write it? Sorry, uh, it, no, it's fine. It, it, many... it took me overall. By the time I was done with volume three, because volumes one and two came out earlier, um, it was eight years in total. And, and, and you know, I, I thought things were bad then, and I could never have fathomed that our country would fall so much farther from what it was then in the next eight years. So I think it's even more timely now than what it was then. Um, but I just felt like I needed to do what, whatever I could in my own small way to get truthful, factual information out to the American people so that they were armed with accurate, truthful knowledge about our founding fathers and what they, uh, who they were and what they believed from a religious perspective and how fundamental that was to our society. That's um, very interesting. Um, I worked on a book for eight years, too, a historical book. And, yeah, you have to have persistence. You have to keep on going. You have to sacrifice your time. Um, so I know what that's like. Uh, but during this time of working on this for the, those number of years, some things must have stood out. Were there some surprising discoveries that you made that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, well, Just... I guess let me let me start out with this. I, I um, you know, I, I for my own purposes, first thought about well, how do I define who our founding fathers were in order to provide this information? And you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't satisfied with simply doing Washington, Jefferson, Madison on all the ones we know. So I, in my own mind, I, I defined our founders as anyone who signed one or more of our nation's three founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the United States Constitution, which later replaced the Articles as the governing document. That turned out to be 118 people. Um, and that's why eventually, with all of the research that went into that, it had to become a multi-volume set. But one of the interesting things I would say is that, you know, we all know uh, something about uh, the big names, Washington, Madison, Jefferson, Hamilton, etc. But there were 118 men, and I'm, I'm sorry to say it was the 1700s, so they were all men at that time. I'm sure it would be different today. Um, but And a lot of them, you and I, have, or at least I, had never heard of before, but each and every one of them has their own fascinating story. And, and, and I guess what a lot of people might find surprising is that, especially given what we're told today about our found, founding fathers, that, oh, supposedly they weren't really Christians, they were just all deists or something like that, um, to a person, these were men of faith, these were Christian men, and, and their religious beliefs and their religious principles were so very much a part of who they were. It's what led them to found this country on principles of freedom and God-given rights. Um, and, and, you know, given, given what our, our kids are taught today, a lot of people might find that surprising, which is why I thought it's so important to let people know the truth. 
I would say the only exception to that that I know of, but you might disagree with me, is it doesn't seem like Thomas Jefferson was a Christian. He may have well been a believer in God, but but even even if he wasn't a Christian, he would be an outlier, wouldn't he? He'd be a real exception to all the others. Yeah, and Jefferson, uh, I knew he would be a challenge. Uh, he's in Volume 3 because Volume 3 covers all of the signers from the southern colonies, including Virginia. I describe Jefferson in the book as the intellectual of his day in all of its good senses and bad senses, meaning he was very smart. He was very well educated. He spoke at least four languages. Um, But his downfall, I think, like so many modern day intellectuals, is they're too smart for their own good. Right. I mean, they think (laughs) and he thought he thought if he couldn't reason his way to understanding something then he had trouble accepting it. So you're correct, certainly, that he rejected certain things in Christianity that you and I take on faith, because he wasn't one to be willing or to be able to accept in his own mind the limitations of his own human capacity to be able to accept something on faith. He had to be able to reason his way to understand it. But yet, recognizing he was certainly unconventional in many respects— He served on the vestry of the Fredericksville Parish Anglican Church, the St. Anne's Anglican Church. He founded his own church, the Calvinistical Reformed Church, which was different in the sense that it was supported financially by its membership, which was different than what most churches were in that day. Well, I didn't know that. I'm going to, sorry, but I'm going to, there's several other things I really want to get to, and I want to give our listeners an example of the type of quotations in here. This is a quotation you include from Samuel Adams. It says, The religion and public liberty of a people are intimately connected. Their interests are interwoven. They cannot subsist separately, and therefore they rise and fall together. For this reason, it is always observable that those who are combined to destroy the people's liberties practice every art to poison their morals. You know, Judge Boonstra, this just gave me chills reading this. I mean, we know that freedom's connected to morality. He says so clearly, if we lose our morality, we lose our freedoms. And so we look at, we talked at the beginning about what uh, some of the universities we'd attend have attended in the past. If you look at universities today, if you look at entertainment, if you look at so many of our institutions um, it looks like it's gone in a totally different direction, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. And that, that that's one of my favorite quotes as well from Samuel Adams. He, uh, he put it very well and very succinctly. But, you know, I gave a talk recently to a, a homeschool group, uh, and I talked. one of the things I talked about was our universities. And I went through some of the universities that these founders attended, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, which was then King's College, Princeton, which was then the College of New Jersey, William and Mary, most of them were founded uh, as religious institutions. That includes Harvard, which was a Puritan institution. It, had, it, it and many of these universities, its first president and many successive presidents were ministers. Many of them were founded for the purpose of training ministers. And look how far we've fallen. Uh, now we have professors at Harvard and Yale who are saying, for example, that uh, homeschoolers are uh, that homeschooling is nothing but Christian white nationalism, and that it should be banned. 
um, and 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 our and our public schools. I mean, many of these founders, Benjamin Rush, uh, who who was from Pennsylvania and who was the founder of American Medicine, uh, adamantly said the Bible needs to be included in our curriculum. It's the foundation of morals and virtues. And all of these men said our 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 very founding principles of freedom and God-given rights depend on morality and religion, which is found, and morality and virtue, which is founded in religion. And now we've taken God completely out of the schools, and you have to wonder what, if, if the, this isn't really an effort to poison the morals of our youth. Because when you go to the university now, the theme is that we need to be liberated from what all our founding fathers said that we need to base our lives on and the founding members of the faculty and those that founded our universities. We need to be liberated from that? No, we need to base our lives on those principles. So yeah. what what do you think can be done about this, in your opinion? Yeah, well, we like think- to offer our listeners, I'll just interject this. <laughs> we, we, we usually, the typical thing we do on our show, we present the problems, we try to inform, but we try to always include something that, if you will, common everyday people can do. Well, I guess I would say, first of all, um, educate yourselves, arm yourselves with the truth, because these are issues, and part of what I was trying to do with this book is to begin a debate and a dialogue, right? And and you can't do that. You don't know how to respond to people who are telling you something different about our founding and about the importance of religion to, to the founding of America, unless you know, unless you are armed with information to do that. Hmm. So I would say, First of all, educate yourself so that you're prepared to fight back and to uh, and to uh, you know counter false information with true information. And I think in whatever aspect of society you're involved in, your churches, your schools, your school boards, your uh, organizations you're involved with, uh, I think we have to fight back because uh, Christianity is under assault right now, and I think. And, and they're counting on people to to accept it and to um, and to um, you know uh, not fight back. And I think we just can't do that in every aspect of our lives. We have to, uh, I, you know, I've said in the book. I, I say I agree with President Biden. We are in a fight for the soul of this nation. I truly believe it is simply a a battle uh, that has been ongoing since Satan fell from heaven. I don't. It's a battle of good and evil. I don't think I would agree with the president about who's on what side of that battle. Right. But the thing <laughs> is, e- evil never quits. And I think we, as much as we would like to say we've defeated it, it never quits. It always raises its ugly head again, and we have to fight back every way that we can. I think that is such a good idea. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a judge in the Court of Appeals in Michigan. You have to administer justice to people in so much of the law profession, it seems like, as coming out of the universities and probably the uh, justice system has been been uh, turned or at least not pure like it should be, right? I mean, what's it like to be in, a judge in the, in the Court of Appeals in Michigan? Yeah, so what we are, just to explain, is what we call the Intermediate Appellate Court in the state uh, court system here in Michigan. And that means we hear appeals. We don't take evidence. We don't conduct trials. Those are all done in the trial courts. 
We uh, hear appeals from all of the trial courts around the state on all sorts of matters of every sort imaginable, from criminal to civil to family to domestic to public service commission to tax cases, you name it, we hear them. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging simply to know all those areas of law. I can't say that, you know, religion is on the forefront of the analysis. We're doing a legal analysis, but, you know, we all come from our own perspectives and our own backgrounds. Being a Christian and my, my religious beliefs are simply fundamental to who I am as a person, and it helps to shape my mindset about everything. And I, I guess I would like to, to think that directly or indirectly, it impacts my thinking on, on all of the matters that come before us. But, but we, and I'd like to say, you know, our system of justice is based on the rule of law which in this country is founded on, on the, the idea that we are all equal under the law, and, and we have to apply that in all sorts of different settings. But that very principle of being equal under the law, where does that come from? It comes from Christianity. From the Bible, yeah. Uh, it, abs- it absolutely it does. It says, do not favor the poor or the rich. They're equal under God. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about one other area we, we've talked about the you, you handle so well in your book in their own words about the religious and Christian foundation of all our basic documents and principles and yet we often hear this phrase separation of church and state even in everyday conversation walking around you hear this term separation of church and state and you hear it within churches we think and we we talk about on our show that many Christians, we think, mistakenly interpret that to mean the church should stay out of public affairs. And um, we think the church is called, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, to be the conscience of the state. So I'd be interested in your view. You've talked about getting involved in school boards and schools and so on. What about the role of churches themselves? Shouldn't they be involved in these public major issues? Uh, absolutely, they should, and, uh, and 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 you know sometimes I fear that our churches uh, feel obliged to conform to wherever society happens to be going, and I think that's absolutely wrong. Churches should be leading society, not following the direction that perhaps secularists are taking society. Society uh, separation of church and state. I'm glad you asked that question. I. I, I posed the question once to, a, to an audience, where would you find the separation of church and state clause in our founding documents? And, of course, I was met with silence because the answer is nowhere. It's nowhere in our founding documents, but it's a phrase that has made, made its way into our lexicon, into our court cases. And, and so I think people need to understand what it really means and where it came from. It came from Thomas Jefferson um, uh, and it came from a letter that he wrote while he was president to the Danbury Baptists of the state of Connecticut. And the reason he wrote it, they wrote to him originally, and they said, you know, we're concerned about whether we'll be able to exercise, uh, uh, to, to, to practice our religion as we wish to practice it. Um, will we be able to do so? And, and part of that was because back in the day, you know, when the country was founded, they, they kind of did what they knew. They established in each colony 
uh, most of them at least, an established church. So Connecticut, for example, was an Anglican colony, what today we would call, uh, I'm sorry, was, was a congregational colony, whereas Virginia, for example, was an Anglican colony, what we would today call Episcopalian. And, you know, the, the Baptists were, and other denominations, Catholics, for example, were persecuted under the law. They weren't allowed to hold office. They were taxed to support the established church. Eventually, we did away with that. We adopted the First Amendment that had an, an establishment clause and a free exercise clause. So the Danbury Baptists were concerned about whether they would be able to freely exercise their religion. And Jefferson was a very strong proponent of free exercise, and he wrote to them, and he said, yes, of course, you will be able to exercise your religion as you see fit. There's a wall of separation between church and state. But what he meant was not that the state needed to be protected from churches or that churches should stay out of, um, you know, matters of state. He was saying that the, the churches were protected from interference by the state. That's what the wall of separation was intended to do. That is the very most important thing to remember about the separation of church and state, is that the state needs to stay out of what's going on in the churches and not close them down or interfere whatsoever in their worship. We saw this tremendous interference during COVID. But we are at the end of our time. Let's just... uh, We are so happy that you could be here with us today, Judge Boonstra. And uh, will you come back again? I'd be honored. Now that that we have your right (laughs) phone number, there's no escaping. We'll probably chase after you again. But thanks so much. Yeah. Maybe maybe when we visit Michigan, we'll, we'll contact you. But to bless your neighbor, think about our founding fathers and major sacrifices they made in order that we could be free. We need God to guide our country and to teach our young people to know Him. Judge Boonstra's book, in their own words, should be part of every child's curriculum, and adults should read it too. Till next week. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.